0: We are in a series that we've titled the Reformation Series. Would you say that with me? One, two, three. The Reformation Series. That's right. And uh, we're highlighting that. We've titled it that because we are, uh, October 31st will be the um, 500 year anniversary when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the door of the church there in Wittenberg. And if you will, that the the Protestant Reformation started, uh, which is why you're sitting here today. And so we're going to kind of dive into that. Um, I have uh, three purposes with this series, and I try to always be very purposeful as we grow and and, uh, as a family. And uh, my first purpose is I want to call you and me to reform. Remodel, update, change out, restore some of the areas of our lives that we've allowed the enemy to get into. Uh, the second purpose that I have in this series is that uh, each one of us would have kind of a basic education about the Protestant Reformation, uh, and then my final purpose in this series is that uh, we would develop as families. We would develop a declaration of statutes that give guidance to your families that you would. Maybe not nail it on your front door, but put it on your refrigerator. That as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We will not do this. We will do this. We will serve God in this capacity. We will be a light and a beacon to our neighborhood, to our nation. That you would have this declaration that could guide you. You know, before we ever went to war with England, we wrote something called the Declaration of Independence. We had never shot... A, 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 a rifle. We never pulled drawn swords, but we declared what was going to happen before we ever went and fought for it. And sometimes you've got to declare the things over your family, and then you go fight for them on a daily basis. Isn't a good say yes. So that's what I'm hoping will happen uh, through this series for you and your family. And uh, uh, and I'm believing that God's going to reform us, that He really will. Now, last week we started into this, and um, I explained to you that in this series we'll have some dual illustrations happening. And what I mean by that is, as I'm trying to teach you and I how to reform our lives, how to, how to remove the junk, if you will, and to add in what God has and to declare that to the world, as we're learning how to go about doing that, I want to illustrate that so you have a middle picture. And so I'll have two illustrations running simultaneously with the teaching. The first will be the illustration of what transpired 500 years ago with the Reformation uh, and, and looking at the history of why God needed to reform his church. And then the second illustration, which which is so much more powerful than Martin Luther, is the fact that I had to rip out stuff in my house because critters got behind the wall. Okay, I was being really... Um Stupid, there. Okay, the Reformation is much more powerful. But anyway, we will use my little illustration as well and kind of give you a mental picture on how you and I need to reform some things in our life. So, with that being said, last week was about uh, us acknowledging. Wait a minute, there probably are some things that we've allowed to linger, even though we're Christians, we've allowed some unbelief in this area to stay there. We've allowed some some anger to stay there. We've got a little bit of criticism and judgmentalism. We've got a little bit of perversion still in this area of our life, and we need to. Re- those things out and to acknowledge it that's what last week was about this week will be how to do that how do we actually go about doing that and so with that let's open to our key scripture for today's teaching and that is out of james chapter 1 and verse 21 so quickly james chapter 1 and verse 21 for you the guys that are dyslexic that would be twelve one 1 s- sam- j- all right first time someone knew where to go in, in church verse 21 says therefore get rid of all All moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Read it again. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. It's interesting. uh, When you read this, if you're not careful, you'll forget who James is writing to, who the Holy Scriptures are being sent to. Uh, this is being sent to Christians. This is not being sent to pagans. This is not being sent to you know to the uh, you know the the social club down the road. He's writing this to Christians, those who love the Lord. He's writing this in the early church, the first fifty years. They're on fire. They're they're seeing miracles. Blind eyes are opening. They're m- much more radical than we are, I would say, in our era. They are just they're just living for God. It's powerful, and he has to write them and say to them, "Listen." I love you, you're awesome, but let us be careful to not allow the moral filth to continue in us and the evil. So he uses the term, get rid of. Everybody say, get rid of. You can do better than that. Say, get rid of. And in that statement, in and of itself, we have an action statement that assumes the position that it is within our power to rid ourselves of these things. So in the statement alone, get rid of. There's an assumption in the way the statement is brought out that we have the power to get rid of some of the things that have lingered in our life. And and I know there are counselors and therapists, but, friend, can I tell you something? The same spirit that rose Christ from the dead dwells in you and can help you overcome. Just because your grandfather was a pervert and your dad was a pervert doesn't mean you have to be a pervert. Just because your grandmother died of breast cancer and your mom has breast cancer doesn't mean you have to have it. Come on, you hear me? God can help us and give us strength and power to overcome the fact that we still gossip, the fact that we still lie a little bit, the fact that we still are self-seeking, and that's the whole premise of, if you will, this message, and it really was the premise of the Reformation 500 years ago, that something needed to change, that something had to be transformed. In fact, I'd like to show you a little video because I don't. Uh, some of you weren't here last week where we talked about the, the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, what God was doing. I make a couple points I want to remind you of. Uh, so as the early church, um, as we know it in the Scriptures, began to move forward and the gospel began to stretch out all over the world, uh, we took on the name, or we used the name Catholic to, in, in the 2nd century. And what we used it for is because we meant it to be... That we were universal some were still calling us a sect or an offshoot of judaism uh, judaism was against us if you will because they didn't believe in the messiah some jews believe in the messiah they're called messianic jews those who don't uh would be called, would still worship if you will judaism or worship by way of judaism would be their religion and so what was happening is we took on the verbiage catholic and there were two groups of people that emerged over the next you know uh you know Thousand years, and that was the Roman Catholic Church, and then in the West, which is in Europe, and then in the East, it would have been you know the Greek Orthodox, and they had some disagreements on how Christianity should be organized and so forth and so on and then we watched from five hundred to about fifteen hundred about that thousand years, corruption get in the Roman Catholic Church, which is we were them, we were Catholic if you 'd have lived in that era, you would have considered yourself a Christian, and you would not have had any issue with the verbiage Catholic. And and then we see around 1500 that God began to shake some things up. So, with that being said, a little short two minute video to kind of bring you up to speed in case you weren't here last week on kind of what the Reformation was about and who was involved in it. So, play that for him for just a moment.
1: In the 16th century, the church practice of indulgence had become corrupted. People were charging money in exchange for the forgiveness of sins. The leaders of the church were abusing God's gift of grace for profit. Meanwhile, a monk named Martin Luther, a theologian of the scriptures, was questioning his personal salvation. He struggled to understand the scripture in Romans one 16 through 16-17. Paul proclaims the good news of God's justice, saving us by his grace, not by what we have done. As he studied the passage, he first understood the gospel message that God forgives sins through faith. This new understanding contradicted what he saw practiced in the church. In 1517, he wrote these differences in 95 theses, which challenged the church he loved to rethink their actions. This marked the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. This movement changed our views on justification, the authority of Scripture, in church leadership. People's views of God were no longer limited to fear and judgment, but expanded to see him as comforter and savior.
0: Yeah, so super powerful there. And as 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 we kind of dive into this, I I have pointed out or uh, have come to the place where there are about four things that I see that God was trying to do with the Reformation. And so uh, you can see these, will be on the screen. What was God attempting to, if you will, tear out? And I'm using the word tear out as the theme of today's message, the Reformation series, the part two, and that is the tear out, where you literally have to tear some things out. I'm using those words specifically uh, because of the pain required. I'm using those as picture words because of the difficulty when something has become comfortable that has to be torn out. Removed would be a sweeter way to say it, but literally what we see God doing 500 years ago was tearing some things out, adjusting some things by way of almost a violent activity, if you will. And so here's, here's how I see it. The first thing that God was attempting to tear out with the Reformation was whatever was contrary to the word of God. At that point, what had happened was the church—you uh, know, the, the 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 priests, the 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 pope, those uh, bishops, and so forth—they uh, were the only ones who were studied enough to know Latin and the Vulgate, uh, the the translation of the scriptures in Latin was called the Vulgate uh, in in Middle Eastern and uh, Middle Ages time. And as a result of that, much misappropriation of those scriptures were happening. And so, what God did was He brought about the printing press. At the same time, the Greeks began to move. To the uh, to, uh, over to Europe area, and so now we had the Greek translation of the New Testament available to us. And what he was doing was he was ripping out anything that was contrary to his word. Oh, I don't know. Things like selling indulgences. You say, what does that mean, selling indulgences? So the Catholic Church, in the time, had a concept, first and foremost, that there was a purgatory. That when you died, you went to purgatory, and it was your baby step between heaven and hell. And in purgatory, you were punished, and there was difficulty. And what happened, all souls, according to them, had to have it. And remember I taught you last week, they believed that at birth, you were were to then, at seven days, to be baptized, because you were born into sin but infant baptismal would cleanse you and you would be able to have a fresh start but they knew that you would continue to sin and so you then had to pay penance for that sin certain amount of hell Marys you had to pay for certain things and you had to do certain uh, of the seven sacraments and if you were faithful to the seven sacraments that meant less time you spent in purgatory but the sins that you did not get penance for that you did not get covered you would have to go and purgatory for a season and then you would then be able to uh, have to suffer for whatever season of sins that you didn't get covered on earth, and then the concept came around that you know what the Pope can write, uh, he can write a get out of jail free card earlier if you pay enough money. And so they begin selling indulgences because who would want grandma to stay in purgatory for another two years? You could spend ten thousand dollars today. Can you imagine that sales pitch? You think the guys on Christian television are bad now, imagine what they were doing back then. Can you imagine that? Are you going to let grandma stay in hell and purgatory for that many more years? How dare you? And you're thinking, I'm going to do it. And they were giving up. That's what made Martin Luther so mad because these poor people were taking half of their yearly earnings to get grandma out of purgatory. And just killing themselves or to get themselves out of purgatory earlier and so forth and so on. Which is not found in the word of God. And then from that point forward, God said, I'm going to turn this thing upside down. Why? Because it's what I'm going to rip out whatever is contrary to the word of God. Here's the second thing that God was after and that is whatever hindered faith and grace. Whatever hindered faith and grace, he was turning it on its side right then and there through the uh, Protestant Reformation. Whatever hindered faith and grace. Why? Because the concept of the day or the lie of the church at that point was that you had to pay penance so that you could have righteousness. And we taught you this last week. In other words, that and that's why Martin Luther had such a revelation of that of that uh, Romans 1:17 passage. That it is his righteousness. So Jesus is total righteousness. He didn't sin. No wickedness did he did he uh, participate in. And so when he died, resurrected, and then gave me the opportunity. To be seen, if I will come to him, his righteousness then is put, and I, and I kind of picture it almost like a coat, is put over my unrighteousness when I come into repentance with him and ask him to be the Lord of my life. And when God the Father sees me, he sees not my sin, but he sees the righteousness of Christ Jesus. You say, well, how can that work? By faith. So you accept that as a truth. And, and what the Catholic Church was teaching in those days is you had to do penance to be justified. Instead of repenting, which is to fall on grace and say, Lord, I repent and I and apply what you did to my life, even though I don't deserve it, even though I'm not good enough for it, I repent and receive your grace, your mercy, and your righteousness over my life. What they translated it was you had to do penance. To get that justification, to get that righteousness. So if you did enough good works, and some of you still live that way, and that's why you have such a problem with the living God. It's because you keep trying to impress him with your good works. They never work because you're still bad. Come on, somebody. And as a result, you've got this thing warring inside of you that you're never good enough. And even some preachers and teachers of this hour have tried to make you to under uh, think like this that you have to be good enough to be accepted by God. God doesn't love you because you're good. God loves you because He's good. Not because we're good. It's not, it doesn't work that way. And so God was tearing out there 500 years ago in the church. He was in a tear out mode. Whatever was contrary first to his word. Number two, whatever hindered faith and grace. Here's the third thing that he was tearing out. Whatever elevated a man or a woman over God. He was done with it. He wasn't having any more of it. Why? Because we do not need, Hebrew says, another high priest. Jesus Christ is our way to the Father. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through Him. Not through Muhammad, not through pluralism in in multiple ways, but through Him. You say, I don't believe that, then you don't have faith. That's why I'm justified, because I have faith in Christ and Christ alone. And that puts us in a position of rightness because I have faith in what he did. Not because the the pope or the papacy or some clergy has deemed me right, but because Jesus has deemed me right. I don't need an advocate. I don't need someone else to go take my needs to God. I can bring my needs to God. The veil has been rent. There's nothing standing between me and God. Jesus Christ paved the way and he allows, through what he did on the cross, there were these two chasms. I picture it like this. And the cross fell over that and made a bridge from me to God and now I can cross over the cross and get to God through Jesus I don't, need to, I don't need to buy indulgences. I don't need to go sit in confession. I have Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and He is the Son of God, right? And this is what was Jesus. God was ripping out of the church. It had gotten down in there. It never intended to be that way. The Catholic church didn't set out to become some way. We as Christians, Catholic, we didn't set out to be that, but it just happened. If you had lived in that time frame, you'd have been Catholic, I'd have been Catholic. That's what Christian was. But what had happened was over a period of time because there was ignorance in the people God God uh, excuse me God's people God's leadership became corrupt and all of a sudden they began to profit say with me they began to profit off of the people and as a result this stuff got in there and God had to tear it out so he used Martin Luther to do it here's the fourth and final thing that I see that God was doing with the reformation he was tearing out whatever was hindering the spiritual health of the people whatever was hindering the spiritual health of the people. That the word was only for the spiritually elite. That only those, and there's still some who think this way. In fact, there were many who complained about the Reformation, that the Reformation gave the people the Bible, and they misappropriated, mistranslated, and that's where all the crazy denominations came from. So the premise is that if the spiritually elite who really have studied and really know God, they're the ones to translate the word to the people. Well, God himself didn't want that. For he sent his word to the earth that all men could know him through Jesus Christ. And so as a result, we have now... Bibles that we can read you can interpret it for yourself you can misinterpret it you can rightly interpret it you have the ability to do that before there was a spiritual elitism that only the certain ones could tell you what the Bible says what room does that make that gives room for all kinds of human error that gives room for all type of you know uh, inappropriate behavior and that's exactly what they did and as a result he was tearing that out because that doesn't bring help because when I read my Bible I have a personal relationship with the words of the living God they begin to stir inside of my heart. It's not what Pastor Adam preached. It's not what brother so-and-so or sister such-and-such said. It's what God said to me through his word. It's living and alive inside of me. And in that moment, he was sick and tired of the people hearing secondhand revelation and most of it even being manipulative. And he wanted them to know him for for themselves and have his words stamped on their heart, living and abiding inside of them. And he gave them the word of God and he ripped that whole spiritual elitism out. Anything anything he was after anything that kept the spiritual health of his people so how does that apply to you and me first off god wants to rip out of you whatever is contrary to his word that fear that you walk in that people don't like you that's contrary to his word because he says he didn't give you a spirit of fear but power love and a sound mind he wants to rip that out that's why we're in this series because god wants to start dealing with that anything that's contrary to his word anything the thought process that holiness is connected to uh poverty that's not god As you know, uh, uh, we've had some real misappropriation with the prosperity message and the reason why it was misappropriated is because it took a truth and just kind of adjusted it in the wrong way. The fact of the matter is, God does want you prosperous. The problem is the word prosperity for you as an American means boats and cars and houses and bling, 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 bling. That's not what prosperity means in the scripture. Prosperity means in the scripture that he gives you resources so we can stop sex trafficking. That he gives you resources, come on somebody, so that the gospel can go Forth. That's why he said, "Seek not your own will, but seek the will of the Father." And he says, "Listen." He said, lay down your life." And he says, "Look and I'll, I'll, all these other things I'll add to you. Seek not. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and then I'll take care of all the other things for you." That's prosperity. Prosperity is that you can walk into the you can walk into the hospital and pray for someone and they get healed. Prosperity. Prosperity is that your kids, kids, kids. Say, my great great grandfather was a man of God. He loved the Lord, and he had, he had, all his needs were taken care of by the living God. This, my friend had been stripped away from some of you and it's time to get it back right and get the healing of God flowing through you to see as the scripture says. He wants to, number two, he wants to rip out whatever hinders faith and grace in your life. Why do you lack faith that you can pray for people and they can get healed? Why? When Mark clearly says and these signs shall follow those who believe. If you believe in Jesus can I see a hand? Okay, half of you. There we go. Oh, almost. Oh, there we go. These signs shall follow them in who believe. In my name, they'll cast out devils. In my name, they'll speak in new tongues. I'm sorry that some crazy person misappropriated a, a beautiful prayer language that you could have with the Father, but that, has, that, that lack of faith is killing you. It's killing you. If they, if they drink anything deadly, it won't kill them. If a snake bites them, it won't hurt them. Why are you scared about, with the IRS? If you're living right and you're doing right, Why are you worried? Why does that fear? Listen, that is, he's trying to rip out anything that hinders your faith and keeps you from relying on his grace. Stop trying to work for your salvation. Stop trying to please God by being better than the person down the street or the guy next door or the guy in the cubicle next to you. Listen, it is, but by grace. Let me tell you something, when people fall into sin, I think, oh my God, were it not for grace, so go I. When I find out about ministers who've taken the money and cheated on their spouses and blah, 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 blah. Oh, Jesus, were it not for grace, so go I. Fall on his grace, amen. He wants to rip out whatever you have elevated above God. Whether it be a person, whether it be a child. Whether it be a job, he wants to rip that out to where your dependency is on him, to where he's the love of your life. And then from that love relationship, he will provide houses and, and spouses and cars and all those things. You love him not for what you can get from him, you love him because he's good and he's been good to you and because he's Lord. That's why we love him. And his response in that love is to take care of his children. He said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, never see my seed begging for bread. I'll take care of my own. And I'll prosper you and bless you. That's what his scriptures are all about. How about number four? Whatever is hindering your spiritual health. He wants to rip that out. Whatever's hindering. That, that offense that you have from back in the day because your stepdad did what he did and you still hate him. He wants to rip that out because he wants you to flow in health. He wants you to be healthy and strong spiritually. When you walk in the room that everybody goes, there he is. When you walk through Walmart, literally, people start getting, woo felt something. You drive past a funeral home and dead people start raising up. Anyway. Hey! That's why they got to put fences around it right there. That's right. So, I want to illustrate what that ripping out, tearing out looks like with what happened to me. For some of you that weren't here last week. So, early in the spring, a woodpecker decided to take my home and make it his mating call to the pretty young woodpecker girls in the neighborhood. And as I figured out that it's not because you have any rotting in it, they want the loudest sound. And so uh, somehow my siding had the best call to all the women. And so he drilled probably 30 holes the size of a nickel or a quarter in the side of my siding. I tried to stop him. It didn't work. Jamie wouldn't let me shoot him. All these pieces are coming out now. I got lazy, stopped worrying about it. He moved on. I guess he found a couple and moved. I don't know, he, you know he's, he, if he's, anyway, we're going to move on. So, <laughs> so once he stopped, you know, making all the noise on the side of my house, I figured it was over, and I let it go. Well, unbeknownst to me, the squirrel said, ooh, look, a little hole to go live in some safe and secure place. And so the squirrels moved into my walls of my home. And uh, and we played a video to the sort of that last week, and I, it didn't bother me until I heard them in the sheetrock on the backside of my bed, and I didn't know. The first night I heard it, I was like, "Demons, they're in the house, Jamie." <laughs> and uh, and then I and once I came to the conclusion that they were in there making babies and storing up nuts for winter, I said, "They gots to go." So because I was lazy and didn't want to deal with it myself, I called a professional. That's what all of y'all do. Pastor Adam, would you meet with me to fix my problems? And so that's what I did. And when the guy came out and quoted the thousands of dollars, I said, I think I can fix this myself. (laughs) And so I went into a uh, situation of fixing it myself. So today, uh, video montage is me actually tearing out all the spots that the critters got into so I could remove the critters from my house. Go ahead and play that for them. Alright, hey guys, we're at the spot now where it's time to start tearing stuff out, get all the junk out, get all the old, get all the busted, all the junk that's back behind these walls. I bet we're going to find some critters and we got to drive them out and get them out of here. And here's my advice to you, don't ever start a tear out by yourself. Always get some help, get some studs involved, some folks that can make it look, make it work for you. Come on now. And so, uh, so yeah, we'll start tearing some of it out. up in here. Yeah, I went all redneck. That's a squirrel mansion up in here. (laughs) The tear out. Let's talk about how to actually accomplish that today in our lives. And uh, hopefully the uh, getting rid of the varmints in my wall will help give you a mental picture of if you let those varmints stay in your life, they will destroy you. The more and more I let them stay there, the more holes they uh, they dug out in my house. To where the water damage from the holes that they had had, you know, uh, drilled out into into my siding, uh, began to affect our, the studs behind behind the siding. And if that had stayed another year or so, I would have had to rip out the entire wall instead of just the siding. Can I tell you something? If you deal with it now, yep. then you won't be that person when they're fifty, sixty, seventy years old, and everybody can't explain how you had that hidden in your life. Amen. So let's talk about the tear out. Here's a couple of pieces of advice I'd give you on how to, how do we go about tearing these things out? First and foremost, number one, you have to identify the problems. You have to identify the problems. Listen, we got to stop pretending that we got it all under control, that it's all okay in our life. Some of you, you're so awesome. You're so authentic. Every time I see you, you're like, (laughs) I ask you, how are you doing? You know, some of you are like, oh, praise the Lord, everything's great. Hallelujah. Others of you, (laughs) I'm so glad you asked, which is okay, except when we're in the bathroom. So maybe you could wait to, (laughs) <laughs> so identify the problem. So listen, can I just encourage you in this? You and I just need to own the fact that we still have an issue with lying. We just need to own the fact that uh, we, we come home, we're grumpy, and we start yelling and spitting and sometimes cussing at the kids. You just need to own the fact. You just need to identify that there's still some problems there. That doesn't make you not a Christian. Doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. That just means you got some squirrels in the sheetrock that got to get out. That just means you got some damage that's left over from your, from your sinful days. Come on, somebody. That, just, that you just hadn't gotten to. And the longer you let it sit there, I'm telling you, the deeper it becomes. Friend, do you want to be that person? I don't want to be that old guy who's, I've been saved 48 years, and they still bitter. I don't want to be that lady in the church uh, ever, but I don't want my wife (laughs) to ever be that lady in the church who is gossipy and always talking bad about people because she's been in the ministry so long. And see, oh, I bet you that was a Jezebel. Look at her right there. I don't want that for my, I don't want my grandkids to say, I guess Christianity sucks. Look at the way my grandparents live it. I don't want that. And the way that transpires in people's lives is because they let the critter stay in there. They they let the damage continue on. They, They let that little rotted spot continue. And the first thing you and I have to do is just admit, I got a problem. I still have an issue with smoking or lying or cheating or perversion, whatever it is, and just own it. And I teach people all the time, write it down. Write down the top two or three things that you just know. I mean, come on, none of us are perfect. We're all saved by grace. We're all just sinners who God has extended grace and mercy to us. And, and guys, I, I know in my own life, I mean, as a pastor, I'm just a man of God who loves Jesus with all my heart. But I'm not Jesus. And I'm still working through some things. You're still working through some things. And the first thing you could ever do that would help this process is identify the problems. Just write them down. You say, I don't really know. Ask your wife. She'll tell you. She knows exactly what they are, make a list, number two here's the second thing and uh, here's the second thing to do in the tear out process and that is call upon the Lord call upon the Lord why do you keep thinking you can fix this you haven't been able to fix it in 25 years Call upon the Lord. And I have a beautiful passage out of the book of Psalms, chapter 18. You ought to go back and read this over and over again and get this down in your heart. But I'll read verses 3 through 7, and then I'll skip down to verse 14. He says, I call to the Lord. What does he do? Try it again. What does he do? Call. Call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I am saved from my enemies. Can I tell you something? That little junk that's still left in your life, it's an enemy of God. It's an. You say, well, it's my flesh. I get it, but it's an enemy to what God has for you and what God has planned for you and what God wants for you. He says, I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise and I am safe from my enemies. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me in my distress. What did he do? I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his holy temple, he heard my voice my cry came before him into his ears the earth trembled and quaked and the foundations of the mountains shook they trembled because what he was angry who was he angry with the enemy of your soul he's not angry at you he knows that you're wicked and he still died on a cross for you come on now he didn't wait for you to be good or figure it all out. He loves you. He, listen, let, put it in the right perspective. Stop looking at it as religion and look at it relationship like it really is. If your child has something that's hurting them and destroying them, how are you going to act as a papa? I'm going to lose my mind. He said he got ain't He heard. Listen, my little girl was coming down the stairs the other day, uh, and, and, and we heard her go, boom, 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 pop pop. Like that, she fell and knocked her breath out, you know. And I hear a little ah, and we all look at each other and look. I, look, I'm pushing everybody out the way. I throw open the door, go running over to the stairs, and she's sitting there. Ah, 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 ah. She just gotten out of the shower. Bless her heart. She had a little tower around her, and I just grab her up. And what is it? It's, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> and so I don't know if I should do mouth to mouth. I don't know. Mom comes about that time. Listen, we rose up. And got frustrated. I was trying to figure out how to rip stairs out. We'll never have stairs again. Because my baby girl got hurt. Are you with me? This is how God feels about you. He doesn't, he's not mad at you because you're a sinner. You're a sinner. Saved by grace. And so the problem is you don't call out, well, he's just tired of hearing about it he just knows listen call upon the Lord if you'll skip down to verse 14 because the next from 8 to 14 is all about how ticked off he is and how he's going to kill the enemy but look what he actually does in verse 14 he shot his arrows and scattered the enemy's great bolts of lightning and routed them the valleys of the sea were exposed and the foundation of the earth laid bare at your rebuke oh Lord at the blast of your breath from your nostrils that's ticked off right there He reached down from on high and took a hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. Can I tell you something? That depression, all the therapists and the counselors cannot rescue you out of that. Only one who can take you out of those deep waters. Call upon the one, the king of glory. Call on him in faith. And I do this all the time. God, I can't do it. I can't pastor these people. There's too many of them. And they're all messed up. (laughs) Help! And about that time, God starts doing stuff. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Why? Because he likes being the hero of our life. Because he is the center point of our existence. And because we are his sons and daughters. And you need to stop looking at yourself as your own provider and recognize the king of glory looks for you to call on his name. And that's what separated David from all the other men of his era. He understood that God loved him. And that God loved fighting for him. That God had put him in that position for such a time as this. And though David be wicked. And though David had a man killed. And though David be an adulterer. God, when David cried out in repentance, God responded with grace. It's a magnificent, powerful God that we serve. Friend, can I explain something to you? It's time for you to call upon the Lord. Stop calling upon your cousin. Stop keep telling everybody at work what your problem is and start calling upon the Lord. God, I don't want to be in this loveless marriage. God, help me. He will help you. God, I don't want to be like this. I don't want to be an angry person. Can I tell you something? Some of you are so frustrated. You look. You know why you don't have friends? Because you mean. <laughs> I love you. But seriously, it, 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 listen... It, you got to get past some of these things, and the only way to do it is to tear it out. Why does he want to tear it out? Because he loves you, because he's got a great plan for you. Here's the third thing that needs to happen in this whole tear-out process, and I've learned this. You need to get some friends involved. You need to get some friends involved. You got to get some help involved in this whole thing. You see me in my little illustration. There was no if I would have waited till I was a motivated by myself, had enough of uh, uh, knowledge on how to do it. I'd already watched sixteen YouTube videos and still didn't know what I was supposed to do. So you know what I did? I called Pop. Pop knows what to do. Got Pop in on the scene. Got Aaron Randall. So Pop was the wisdom. Aaron was the workhorse. And between the three, we got it done. Can I tell you something? Do you know why James chapter five and verse sixteen? Do you know why it says what it says? Because to this point, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Look at the power in this. When you and I br- pull a brother aside and say, listen, I need you to pray with me, man. I'm, I'm really struggling with this thing. The Bible calls it, that's where healing transpires. See, when I confess and I repent to the Lord, he forgives. But there's a wound there still. And that healing process happens when you and I, as the body of Christ, come together. That's why we do small group life. That's why we do that, to get you some good spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ. Say, well, I got my cousin, I got my Facebook friends, and how's that working? What you need is some good spiritual friends in the same communal group that we're doing life together, and we're trying to win the city together, and we're under the same pastoral oversights, and that we're walking this out together, and you need some folks like that in your life. And when that happens, oh, my goodness, all of a sudden, you can go bear hunting with a switch. You're like, look, I got this. We got this. Because all of a sudden, you, they go, well, I just want to tell you the truth. I'm struggling with that, too. You're like, what? I'm not going to go to hell forever. You're just as wicked as I am. And you're the pastor. This is awesome. I'm telling you, this is, this is the key component that most people stop and they miss. And they don't understand that all by yourself is the plan of the enemy. That's what he wants you to do. All by yourself. That's his plan. Why? Because there's no one to stand beside you. Whenever you are by yourself and you're suffering alone. Well, I'm just, you know, and somehow, because that's how your grandmother was. You're just going to suffer alone. That was, that's, that's what our grandma, my grandmother was like. She just suffered in silence. It was her act of martyrdom. Mom and I talk about it all the time. Just about killed us. You know, cause, and we took on that. Well, you're never supposed to tell anybody anything you're going through. We're just all supposed to feel sad for her when we come over to her house because she's worked so hard so that everyone else could prosper. It's like, ugh, <laughs> that's death. And that's why there were hardly anyone at her funeral, because she lived it alone. Friend, don't be alone. Here's the fourth and final piece that I would teach you on the tear out, and that is this: engage the power afforded you through the Holy Spirit. Engage the power afforded you through the Holy Spirit. Look at Romans eight and twenty-six. It says in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our what? Can you see that? Weakness. In our what? Say it out loud for me. In our weakness. who helps us in our weakness? We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Those of us who have a prayer language, we recognize this as praying in other tongues. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. I mean, listen, I am so sorry that people have misappropriated and mishandled the power of the Holy Spirit in other venues But that doesn't negate, if you'll read your holy word, that you understand every one of the men who wrote your New Testament prayed in other tongues. You understand that 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 was a gift from the Lord to give you his Holy Spirit. Jesus does not live inside of you. He came in the form of a man. He lived on earth. He was born to, to a virgin. He lived on earth. He died he resurrected, he ascended, and the Bible says he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Stop telling everybody Jesus lives inside of you. He doesn't. What lives inside of you or who lives inside of you is his Holy Spirit. He said, I will send you the comforter. and He will guide you. He will, he will, he will teach you. He will empower you. And Jesus said, and ye shall receive power after which the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Oh, I get so heartbroken with people who sit in counseling appointments and you can just see the counselor looking at them and they're trying to figure out if they're going to prescribe them bipolar, if they're going to give them this drug or they're going to do this because this thing is going on and on and on and they don't know how to get them out of it. And the whole time I'm just sitting there going, oh, oh. oh." There is a power that is greater than cancer. There is a power that is greater than death. The same Spirit, Holy Spirit, that rose Christ from the dead dwells in us Man. and what's happened is some of you have never been t- and I'm so sorry and I'm so sorry that no one's laid hands on you to uh, receive the power of the Holy Spirit I'm so sorry for that for you I want that for you more than anything and our small group leaders will be standing around today the they can pray with you you can come back later to the place of comfort you can go s- search out some doctrinal things if you have some insecurities about it and go dig in your word but at the end of the day he did not leave you powerless he would not have done that can you imagine? Can you imagine telling your children on your deathbed, I've got a great task for you. You have to rebuild our house. But I'm not going to give you any money to do it. Jesus said, go and change the world. But I'm going to give you power to accomplish it. And if anything comes against you, you'll have power to overcome it. And and, and so part of the tear-out process it's engaging the power. Listen, what I do all the time is I pray in my prayer language, and God gives me downloads. That's what this is talking about. And the Spirit searches out the th- things of God and gives revelation to me. That's what, it, that's, what it's, that's kind of paraphrasing this passage right here. And so as a result, I know not to say that in that moment. I was, I, I've been in some real tricky moments recently, and I just pray in the Spirit, and all of a sudden the Lord give me understanding. I just know not to do that, but to do this. And people come, up, you are so wise. How did you know to do that? Well, you know, just pastor Adam McKay. That's what what it is. What it is. I had no idea what I was going to do. But that power that dwells in me, the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, friend, can I tell you something? God loves you so much, so much. Our key scripture again was this. Let's look back at James chapter 1 and close it out right here. James chapter 1, what did he tell us? He says, therefore, get rid of all moral, uh, excuse me, all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. And humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. I don't know about you, but I just, I just don't want that stuff to keep going. God so loved his church that he started tearing things out 500 years ago. Things that weren't supposed to be there. That fear, that's not supposed to be there. That perversion, it's not supposed to be there. It's not how he made you. That's not what he had intended for you. That anger, that deep-seated insecurity, that's not, that's not, that's not what he intended for you. That, that selfish ambition, that selfish motivation, that's not what he intended for you. That's not supposed to be there. So I don't know about you, but I'm on this reformation to reform those things, to have the Lord help me tear those things out. And according to this passage, it's within my power. I don't have to succumb to it. I don't have to be, that's just my lot in life. I've just got to carry the cross of perversion up the hill for the rest of my existence. No, sir. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. No, sir. No, sir. You don't have to suffer for the rest of your life. So what about Paul's example? Yep, great example, Paul. Asked the Lord, and the Lord responded to him, I'm going to give you grace to go through this situation. That's legitimate. But until the Lord tells you that, you keep on fighting, tearing out, and ripping out, and God will give you grace and mercy to overcome. Isn't that good? Stand with me all across the room. Hope this has helped you today. Everybody say, tear out. Tear out. There you go. You're in the right spot. I want you just to close your eyes with me and bow your heads. This is that moment where we send the little elves around to steal stuff out of your purse. Well, if I'd never been to church and the guy asked me to close my eyes, why? I don't know what you're about to do. (laughs) That's how I think. Uh, No, we ask you to do that just so you can have a a safe place um, to concentrate. And kind of, if you're as ADDDD as I am, if I have my eyes open, I I start thinking about why that guy walked up and started playing that keyboard. So with your head bowed and your eye closed, I just want to give you a moment a couple things that have remained in your life that the Lord wants to tear out oh 500 years ago he loved his church so much that he took a a monk a no name dude living in a 4 by 4 room trying to figure out how he could be better and gave him the understanding of his salvation by faith the grace of Jesus the righteousness of Christ being attributed to his unrighteousness. He was so so serious about tearing out those things that had become corrupt that he used this little no-name guy and he sent others alongside to help him. Supernatural. We wouldn't be here today, were it not for that. We'd all be at mass last night. But today, as you've got your head bowed and your eye closed, the Lord loves you so much. He has such a great vision and plan for your life. And I want you to take a moment, whatever would be admittedly a danger spot in your soul, a sin habit, a peace that's not like Jesus, would you identify that for just a moment? Oh, for some of you, you're so, you're so self-evaluating, and you probably can come up with a list of 30 things. For others of us, we're so, <laughs> we're so cocky, we, can, we can't even come up with one right now but I bet you can come up with something. And then I want you to take a moment as you've got your head bowed and your eye closed and under your breath, I want you to call upon the Lord. Say, Lord, I need your help with this. I can't overcome this. I can't stop this. This is an enemy that is playing havoc on my mind. I don't have the willpower to stop or to cease. I know it's wrong. I know it's sinful. I need you, Jesus. And according to what we read there in that Psalm, He will arise from his holy mountain. He will shake the ground. Smoke will come out of his nostrils. He will shoot his fiery arrows and destroy the enemy. The earth will crack open and swallow the enemy of your soul. And he will pull you out of the deep, deep waters. Jesus, I pray right now that the men and women of church on the hill, oh God, that we would walk uprightly before you. That you would Help us to rid ourselves of all moral filth, sinfulness. God, I pray right now, Lord Jesus, that by faith, as we call upon you, that you are at work. The desire for that drug will just no longer be there. That habit of always blowing our top, spitting and cussing and throwing things, somehow that would become tempered under your mighty hand. Lord God, that that tendency to tell a half-truth would all of a sudden conviction would happen. We'd find ourselves holding our tongue, taking our licks, paying the price for what we did that we've always lied to get out of. God, I pray right now that the men and women of this church could start feeling as you start tearing those things out, the rightness. Oh, once I got that junk out of that wall and I got all that rotted siding pulled off and got all the nest of all the critters out, it was like fresh air. Lord, there's so many who walk into our services, go to small group with guilt, hidden guilt, so shameful. Lord, would you give them friends they could confess with, and do life with, and encourage one another, and strengthen one another? that can help them be a part of that tear out process and that rebuild process. Oh God, we come before you today, and we trust you with our lives. Now, if you keep your head bowed and your eye closed for just a moment, I want to give a call to anyone who might would say, Pastor, I need to be honest. I'm not a Christian. I, I don't I don't know Jesus, man. I know church. I've been to church. There was a season, maybe, where you served God and life happened and you walked away from him. You're estranged, you're separated, you're divorced from Jesus. I've been there. I, I know exactly what that state is like. It's miserable. Maybe you've never really understood Christianity. You knew you knew a little bit about it, but now that we presented to you the truth of the living God who created you, wanting a relationship with you, I want to give a call for you to have that relational line, to have that Jesus as your Lord and Savior moment in your life. So, what do I have to do? Well, that's the beauty. 2,000 years ago, Jesus did every bit of it. He did it. He carried every bit of it. Every bit of what you could never do. You could never be good enough. You could never be righteous enough. He paid for it. And there's a file. I pictured like a file with your name on it. All the grace and all the mercy for any sin you'll ever commit. You so, oh, that's awesome. How do I access that? Well, the Bible says it like this if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. See, if you'll have faith, then His grace will apply to you. So well, that sounds magnificent. It is. It sounds a little simple. Well, it is, but there's something magical that happens. See, when you put your faith in Jesus and make him your Lord, love begins to explode in you. And then you start wanting to live righteous, not because, because you feel bad about sin, but because you're in love with him and you want to be like your father. And so today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're not a Christian, or you've been away from the Lord and you want to come home, would you let me pray for you? No one's looking around. This is a private moment for you and Jesus. I know it's a public setting, but but listen, what else matters today? All of heaven is sitting on the edge of their seats wondering, the angels are wondering, will she accept him today? Will Will he push Jesus away again today? Friend, don't push him away. If you're not right with God and you want to repent, you want to ask Jesus into your life, I'm going to pray with you. I'm not going to call you forward, not going to embarrass you, not going to point you out. But you need to have enough courage to admit that to yourself and to heaven. And let's pray and bring you back to the Lord. If that's you, would you throw your hand up? Say, Pastor, that's me. It's time. I'm ready to be. God bless. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Thanks for your honesty. God bless you, sir. Thank you, young man. Amazing. God bless you. I see your hands. Thank you, sweet love. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Now I'm going to lead you in a prayer, a prayer of repentance. It's been scores of us today. In fact, I'm going to get everyone in the audience to pray this out loud alongside of you maybe they, person down the aisle from you didn't have the courage to lift their hand but they know they want God friend just pray this just believe God and he'll forgive you in fact everyone in the audience pray this out loud with those who lifted their hands say Jesus today I admit I'm a sinner I recognize that I'm wicked but today I fall on your grace and by faith I accept what you did on the cross for me Jesus, I declare you are my Lord. Write my name in your book of life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I promise to serve you all the days of my life. Jesus is my Lord. Say it again. Jesus is my Lord. Keep your head bowed for a moment. Father, I pray right now for every man and woman. Who lifted their hand? Even those who couldn't quite get their hand up, but prayed that prayer and meant it with all of their heart. Lord, that prayer wasn't magical; it was supernatural. As they came to you, they came to this service and they cried out to you. And Lord God, you hear them now. Lord, I ask for peace. I ask for joy. I ask for a supernatural sense that they are forgiven, even when their mind tells them, "Yeah, you're gonna go back, and still do that old stuff." Lord God, that that would be captured by your love. That that would be encapsulated by your grace. And that, Lord God, that each and every one of those who prayed that prayer and meant that with their heart, that, Lord God, that they would sense beyond all understanding that you love them and they're forgiven. And may this be so all their days in Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen. And amen.